0: Going to read today from Genesis 26, verse number 18. And this is the third in a series that, at least inside my Bible program where I build my notes, it's Old Testament characters. And beyond that, I don't really have a fancy title for this series. But you may have picked up, if you're familiar with the Bible, last week I preached about Abraham, and next week I've mentioned already I'm going to preach about Jacob and Bethel. Today we're going to look at the life of Isaac. Genesis 26, 18 says this, Then Isaac dug again the wells of water, which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham, for well, the Philistines had, Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he, that is Isaac, gave them the same names which his father had given them. we we'll are preach for just a little bit the necessity of personal faith, the necessity of personal faith. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing, and while you're seated, I will remain standing for the rest of this, our time together. You've probably seen this in various ways, people living vicarious lives through their children. People who maybe they didn't accomplish all that they wanted to in the area of sports or music or whatever area of life it happened to be, and they push their children to excel in these areas and they push them to do great things and as their children accomplish things the parents are so proud and, and it is as though the parents are doing these things themselves. What they did not accomplish on the football field or in track and field or baseball or soccer their kids are doing and they're so proud and so happy because something is being accomplished that they can maybe take some credit for. On the other side of the spectrum, there are people who live vicariously even through the deeds of their parents. Typically, well, it, it could be younger kids who are proud of their, their mother or their father's occupation and say, well, my dad is this and my mom does that and they're so proud as though they had something to do with it or They were somehow responsible, and when you don't have heroes or you don't have kids or parents that you look to, people often will live vicariously through entertainment, and especially kids, they are whatever their favorite superhero is. They don't just wear the costume, they are Superman. They are Spider-Man, and and it is this kind of vicarious living. When it comes to the realm of faith, oh, people sometimes have false assumptions that faith is like DNA. My parents had faith, therefore, because I'm their child, I have faith. But there is the misunderstanding and the, the false assumption that because something happened in a previous generation that it's an automatic with me. It's a what's just going to... If they were great men or women of God, then I'm automatically going to be like that. But the reality is, is that our DNA has nothing to do with faith, and our DNA or our lineage or our heritage has nothing to do with faith. We have to have faith for ourselves, that there is the necessity of personal faith. And I wrestled with this title a little bit, and I had the necessity of a personal faith, and I dropped the indefinite article and just said the necessity of personal faith, but what I don't mean by personal faith is a personalized faith. I don't mean faith that is unique to me and faith that is, uh, that says of the Bible, I like this and I don't like that, so therefore I won't choose this piece of it, but I, I mean personal and that it is our faith that we own it, we possess it. It is true of us. Growing up, this is before the days of Chipotle and Maud, and, and living in Louisiana, we had this uh, cafeteria chain called Piccadilly. Anybody ever heard of Piccadilly? It's the only cafeteria chain I've ever been to where you could get etouffee. If you've ever been to a cafeteria and they pretty much don't exist in this format anymore, the most recent one in in Kansas City would have been Luby's. Anybody remember Luby's cafeteria? All right, at least one. That's what I'm talking about, me and EJ. Luby's, where they pre-chew your food for you. No, I'm just kidding. It mostly was older folks that would go there and... If you've ever been to a cafeteria, you started one in, and they would have certain deals. You could get two sides or three sides and an entree and a dessert and you know a certain price, and you would go through the line, and you would just pick and choose. I want this salad. I don't want that one. I want this entree, but not that entree. 17 different entrees. You get to pick which one you want, and Get down past the entrees and the sides, and then there are the desserts, and hopefully your parents would let you have a dessert, or it was included with the, the kid, the child dilly plate. Oh, I remember that day, back the child dilly plate. You get to pick which dessert you wanted, and then you get your drink. But nobody got everything. Nobody got every kind of dessert and nobody got every kind of entree and nobody got every kind of side and nobody got every kind of salad, carrot and raisin salad and green salad and coleslaw and potato salad and nobody got it all. And in fact, you weren't expected to get it all because you just pick and choose what you want. So, what I do not mean today when I say a personal faith is a personalized faith where you say, I'll take a little bit of this, I'll take a little bit of that, but no, I don't like this over here. It's about ownership, it's not about personalizing, it's not about just doing it a certain way and going, Well, I I like this piece. I would tell you, it is an all or nothing kind of deal, but it has to be your faith. It can't be the faith of your father. It can't be the faith of your mother. It can't be your grandparents' faith. It has to be your faith. It has to be a personal faith. So looking at this subject, and want to look at it through the life of Isaac. Isaac, as you know, He was the promised son of Abraham. Isaac was the one that had been promised and some 25 years later he shows up on the scene. Isaac is the one that goes up onto the mountain with Abraham. Isaac, at 15 to 21 years of age, goes up to the mountain after God has told Abraham to offer him as a sacrifice and Isaac is the one who's carrying the wood, the Bible says, and Isaac looks at his father as he's going up the hill. We've talked about it recently. And he says, we've got the wood and I see the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide. Jehovah, Jireh, it's where it comes from. That compound name of God, Yahweh, will provide. Isaac saw the provision of God as the angel of the lord stopped his father's hand from plunging the knife into his chest and there was the ram caught in the thicket and they offered that sacrifice and isaac the age of 37 his mother passes away sarah passes away at the age of 127 3 years later isaac marries rebecca and This is a unique story because Abraham sent his servant back to his homeland to find a wife, for Isaac, and nearly a chapter is spent on this one story in the life of Isaac. At the age of 75, Abraham passes away. When Isaac is 75, Abraham passes away, and Isaac inherits his father's wealth. He's got everything now that Abraham had. Some of the same experiences. They were both on the mountain together. He's got his wealth. He's got his livestock. He's got his silver and gold. But the question is, does he have Abraham's faith? Does he trust God and does he believe God? Does he... Choose to follow God and listen to God and obey His voice. And I want to look at the remainder of our time together in chapter 26 to find these answers. Understand this, we must make faith personal, but we must not personalize our faith. It's got to be a personal but non-personalized faith. So what does that mean to have personal faith, first thing it means is this, it means we have our own experience with God, that we can't live on the experience of our parents or our grandparents or others, our aunts and uncles, our cousins. We can't live on those experiences, but we must encounter and experience God for ourselves. In Genesis 26, 2, the Bible says that the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. But stay in the land where I've told you. Now, here's the deal. When Abraham is first called by God to leave Ur of the Chaldees, the next passage says there is a great famine in the land. So Abraham goes to Egypt. Here, verse 1 of chapter 26, there's a great famine in the land. And the first thing that God says to Isaac is, don't go to Egypt. You stay here. I, I know Abraham did that. He went to Egypt, but I want you to stay here. This is your experience, and it's about listening to God and following God. It's not necessarily about everything being uniform and everything being exact. He said, but I, I want you to stay in this land, and if you stay in this land, I will bless you, and I will bless your descendants, and I will give you all of these lands then I will establish the oath which I swore to your father, Abraham. I promised it to Abraham, and I promised he's going to be a great nation, and I promised he was going to have a great lineage, but you have to have your own experience. That if you choose to do your own thing, instead of having your own experience with God and following God, guess what? God's promise is short-circuited. I can't live on the experiences of my parents. I can't live on... Their miracles. My dad was just telling Crystal and Anna last week, walking through various miracles that he had seen and how God had spared his life in one situation, and how God healed this person in another. I, I don't want to live on just the miracles of the past and what people have told me about, but I want to experience and encounter Him for myself. I've got to experience him on my own, and I've got to live for him on my own. Abraham had numerous encounters with God. Chapter 12, it was the original call of God to Abraham, or Abram at that point, to leave Ur of the Chaldees. And chapter 15, it was a reaffirmation of that call, and it was the institution of a covenant that God made with Abraham. When God is making this covenant with Abraham, the process would be that you would take animals and you would cut them in half and you would spread out the carcass and you would do a figure eight through the halves of the animal. And what you would say is this, if I violate this covenant, let it be done. What was done to these animals, let it be done to me. That if I break my word, Chapter 15, a powerful story in the life of Abraham as he's getting ready to do this covenant with God, and God puts him to sleep. The Bible says that a lamp or light, you could see the light making the figure eight through the halved carcass of the animal. And ultimately, what God was doing is this, he's saying, Abraham, I know you're going to fail. I know you can't live up to this covenant. So what I'm going to do, Abraham, is I'm going to covenant with myself that what I have promised to you, I will perform. Oh, Abraham had this great experience and great encounter with God. Chapter 17, the reaffirmation again of his covenant. Circumcision as the sign of the covenant of God. God shows up in angelic form in chapter 19 and tells Abraham what's going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. Chapter 22, he offers Isaac. He takes him up on the mountain to offer him. But Understand this, Isaac had to have his own encounters with God. He couldn't just say, well, I, I know the stories that Ab- my father Abraham told me. I know what he said, and, and I remember Genesis 22 when we went on the mountain. But he needed more experiences with God. He had to have them for himself. And I would tell you, you must have your own encounters with God and your own experience with God if you're going to have personal faith. Personal faith also means we obey God for ourselves. As I mentioned about the famine, Abraham went to Egypt. God speaks to Isaac and says, don't go, you stay here Verse 6, chapter 26, five words. So Isaac lived in Gerar. Don't go to Egypt, Isaac. It says, so he lived in Gerar. It is the place where he was. and It is the place where God said, you just stay right here that my parents' obedience or others' obedience doesn't qualify for me. I have to be obedient to God for myself. I have to be the one who says, yes, Lord, I will do what you've called me to do, or no, Lord, I'm going to not do what the world says. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to do what you want me to do. God, I'm going to listen to your voice, and I'm going to obey you for myself. Let me hurry Not only must we have our own experiences and not only must we obey God for ourselves, but we must hold fast to truth for ourselves. And I don't know how much you you know about an agrarian culture or a culture of livestock. Livestock don't live very long without water. Just like you can't live more than three days without water, they couldn't either. And in a somewhat dry and arid land, water was even more important. They need grazing land. They need water to survive. And Isaac had already listened to the voice of God and he had obeyed God. And when God said, you stay here where you are now, don't go down to Egypt. It's a time of famine. Usually when famine occurs in a, an area like that, there's also drought. Drought means they have no water. And the enemy, the Philistines, had come in after Abraham had vacated that particular spot. Now understand this, they, they would move the animals to various places. They didn't just have, here's my, my back 40 acres and we just stay right here. If you've ever been around sheep or know anything about sheep, they will eat the grass all the way down, including the roots. And so before that would happen, they would move the sheep to a different pasture, and they would move them to a different place. But everywhere they would move, they needed to have grass, and they needed to have water. Genesis 26, verse 18, says that while Isaac has chosen to obey God and live in this land where God has told him, you stay here, the Philistines had come in, and they had filled in the wells that Abraham had dug. They had stopped up all of the water holes that Abraham had dug and they were doing it to keep him from coming back to this area to kill the livestock and keep him from, from pushing them out of their area and encroaching on their territory. And Isaac, the Bible says, he redug the wells. He went back to the area where his father was and these stopped up wells, he dug them out and he started the water to flowing again so he could live there, and he could be there where God had called him to do it, to call him to be. And he also, the Bible says this, he called them by the same names. If you read the Bible, you see that watering holes had specific names. Where are you headed? I'm heading to this watering hole, but you had to have a name so they would know where you're going. And he called the wells by the same name. I would tell you this, that methods can change in church and how we do things and whether we have lights and when we don't have the full band or we don't have a band, period. We have technology that we can use and we can run multi-tracks and we can do a lot of things. And all of that changes. You weren't seeing that 25 years ago or 30 years ago. But the message changes never changes and so for Isaac he didn't change the names of the wells he redug them and he called them by the same name saying I'm here to stay and I'm going to be just what my father Abraham was truth never changes the word of God is forever settled in heaven and just because it's 2023 doesn't mean that the word of God is different now than it was 2,000 years ago That what it meant then, it still means now. Or we may have different ways of applying it and different ways of of putting it into practice, but the meaning is still the same. The truth is still the same. And Isaac had to choose to follow truth for himself. And you and I must choose to follow truth and hold fast to truth for ourselves. Now I realize many of you are what we would call first generation and that means that your parents or your grandparents, they weren't apostolic. And so, for you, it's, this is a new thing. It's a new thing for you about getting back to the truth of Scripture, of following the truth of God's Word. But just because you're here today doesn't mean your kids will follow God. Your kids will have to do it for themselves. Your children will have to have a personal faith. They will have to own it for themselves. They will have to love Jesus for themselves. They will have to have a salvation experience for themselves. All of us must hold fast to truth and not change with the times, but hold fast to the Word of God. Fourthly, personal faith means we have an ongoing experience with God. It is not a one-time experience. I meet people quite often, sometimes I use them as sermon illustrations and leave them nameless, but I meet people quite often that have the mistaken idea that a relationship with God is a one-time experience. That whether it is the new birth like the Bible would teach, repentance and water baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, evidence in speaking in tongues, whether it's that or something lesser of just saying the sinner's prayer or doing whatever, they have the mistaken idea once a Christian, always a Christian. But because I had this experience back then, or I had this encounter with God 30 years ago or 40 years ago, and I haven't talked to Him since, then it doesn't really matter because I punched my ticket to heaven. But it is not a one-time encounter with God. It can be a one-time encounter with God if you go to heaven right afterwards. You experience a new birth and fall over with a heart attack, that's all you need is that one-time encounter. But if it's 30 days or 60 days or 30 years or 60 years later... That one-time experience is not what God has called us to. He has called us to be in a relationship with Him. He has called us to follow Him and to walk with Him and to talk with Him and to, to worship Him and to live for Him and to know Him and to be in relationship with Him. We need ongoing encounters with Jesus. Why is it that I, today and at other times, I pause a little bit and say, we're not just here just to sing a few songs. You didn't come for that, but you need to encounter Jesus again today. You need to have an experience with Jesus again today because it's a continual walk. It is an over and over experience. The Bible would say that the just shall live by faith and but go on to say it is from faith to faith, from this encounter with Jesus to that encounter with Jesus, and this experience to that experience. It is an ongoing process of encountering Him and living for Him and walking with Him. Paul would say to the Corinthian church, when trying to help them understand the gifts of the Spirit, trying to help them navigate how it should really operate in a local church. He said this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Look, it's not just a one-time deal. It just didn't just happen at my salvation experience in Damascus, but it's an ongoing reality where I encounter Him. And I allow him to work in my life, and I allow him to take control of my life. And I would tell you, if it's been a while since you've really encountered Jesus, today should be the day. And lastly, personal faith means we build our own altars. Genesis 26, 25, so he built... An altar there. And he called upon the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. There are more wells mentioned here in this chapter than any other chapter in Genesis. He's putting down roots, he say, I'm staying here, I'm making sure that I can live here. I'm making sure that my animals have the water they need. I'm I'm not leaving here. The last altar that really we see in the life of Isaac is in Genesis 15 when he's laying on an altar and Abraham had built that altar. And Isaac is to be the sacrifice. Eleven chapters later... Or four chapters later, rather, he's building his own altar. The prayers of others can be powerful, and the the beliefs of others can be powerful, and the testimony of others can be powerful, and the trust and faith that others have can be powerful, and the worship of others can be powerful. The sacrifice, the giving, the giving, all of that can be powerful when other people do it, but we must worship and pray and give and believe and trust and study and make disciples for ourselves. We have to have our own altar. Michael McGuire, who has preached here on three occasions, just came to me in this moment, but he preached a message probably some ten or more years ago. He's from our home church in St. Louis. The message that he preached and that may not be the exact title, but the importance of a personal altar. And Anthony was there in that service And it's never failed, we talk about Michael McGuire, that that message was the thing that Anthony remembers most about him, the need for a personal altar. I would tell you, I can't pray in your place. I can't live for God in your place. I can't give for you. Oh, I can pray for you, but it's not in your place. I can ask God to be at work in your life, but it doesn't count as your prayer. You know I like to eat, and I, I say this quite often. If we're with a group of people, and we pray for the food, and then they come up. It's like, y'all pray, and it's like, yeah, we prayed, I said, but, but I tell them, I can't be thankful for you. Only you can be thankful for what God has provided for you. In the same way, only you can build your own altar. I can't build an altar, and I can't have an encounter with God for you, and my encounters with God, I can tell you stories, and you go, man, those are awesome, but it won't change your life. It won't. It won't make a difference in your eternity. You have to build your own altars. We must make faith personal. But we must not personalize our faith. I'm going to use one more food story or an analogy illustration. Mod Pizza I like I like Mod Pizza. Anybody like Mod Pizza? I like Mod Pizza because I can go into Mod Pizza and I can choose my own crust and choose all my toppings and it doesn't matter how many toppings I choose. It's the same price. And in case you wonder, I kind of bounce back and forth between the regular red sauce and the spicy red sauce, some mozzarella and some Parmesan, and get spicy chicken sausage. Try to eat a little healthier, but I do get a little bacon, get some hamburger, some Canadian Bacon mushrooms pineapple jalapenos that's dismissed right now so i get all of that and, and and as i as i do toppings get piled up on there and it's not flat it's a little you know a little little curved there in the middle but not everybody gets a mod pizza. Some people, they, they just get one of the pre-determined kind of pizzas. Anna, she gets the Maddie. It's all cheese. Lightly toasted, lightly baked and with that dark brown on the bottom. They have a number of different pizzas the mad dog they have one with barbecue and they have some that are vegetarian and combinations that they've put together oh that's great but when I go to Mod Pizza I want to build my own When it comes to faith, it's not a build. Some people, they will say, well, I, I want this mad dog pizza here, but instead of this topping, I want to substitute that topping. Or maybe I, I don't even want that at all. Instead of this sauce give me the spicy sauce or give me the cream sauce and if abraham's faith was like mod pizza what you and i must do is walk in and go i want the abraham no substitutions no changes there's only one faith. And when I use the word faith in this context, it's not about just believing God. It's about what you believe about God. That Jude would call it this way. It is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. There's a body of truth and a body of beliefs. And I can't go, I like this and I like that and I like this, but I don't like this. Or let's take it and change it a little bit. Because then it becomes a different can't personalize it but we do have to make it personal and that's why that after Isaac it is no longer just Abraham but it's Abraham and Isaac both believing God and both trusting God and both encountering God for themselves what you and I must do is have a faith not just of our fathers of our mothers but it's, it's their faith it's my faith. That it's the faith of Peter and it's the faith of John and it's the faith of Paul and it's the, it's the faith of Mark and it's the faith of EJ and it's the faith of Terry. It's not a different ones. Terry's faith is not like this and David's faith like that. No, but it's to be the same faith. We must own it for ourselves. Would you stand together? What I'm calling you to today, here, and I'm nine minutes over the 25 minutes I gave myself. But understand that it is about committing to Him. So, what I want you to do today, in the next couple of minutes, and I, I would prefer you step out of your seat and you do this as a sign of faith. Can you make a commitment to God where you stand? Yes. But it's better if you say, I don't care who sees me. I want them to know I'm making a commitment. And God, I'm making a commitment, and I don't want to just do it and be comfortable, but I'm willing to step out. So I would prefer you step out from where you are and come around the front or come into the aisle near you, but determined to learn the Word of God. Determined not only to learn it, but to believe it, not to pick and choose what you want to hear. And then to determine, to obey and live the word of God. If that's your desire today, would you step out from where you are? And would you step toward the front of this building? Would you lift your hands and would you lift your hearts and your voices? And say, God, I I want to know you and I want to know you for myself. I don't want to just follow you and pick and choose. I don't want to live on what somebody else has done and live like a succeeding or preceding generation, Lord. But I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I want to live for you. Jesus, we need you. We want you today. God, we surrender everything to you, Jesus. We surrender everything to you, Jesus.